Good evening, everyone. Nice to see some of you again that I've seen in previous visits and some new faces that I haven't seen before or don't recognize, don't remember. Forgive me if that's the case. But it's always nice to uh, come out here to North Carolina. I've always been well-received for the most part. And so, again, I'm, I'm grateful to the opportunity to come here and to... Uh, speak with all of you tonight. And um, I have to admit I'm a little preoccupied with other projects. I'm in kind of interim here, holdover on my way to Central America where we're developing a community there. And it's been a challenge to uh, think about everything that has to be thought about. So I haven't thought about what I'll speak about. <laughs> so uh, Gurungi asked me and I, I asked her to suggest something. So she wanted me to speak a little bit about Kartik and uh, Dhammadarastakam, which we sang just uh, a few minutes back. So I'll try to say a few things about that. And of course, the Dhammadarastakam is um, well known by most of you and uh, sung throughout this month. Um, and it's an old song, Astakam, stanzas, Sanskrit stanzas, written a long time ago by. Satyabrata Muni, and it's recorded, I believe, in the Padma Purana, one of the ancient texts, sacred texts of India, famous one. And um, sometimes it's said, it's conceived, it's uh, thought about by great devotees, the song, that um, because people are said to have lived a long time during the time that this was written, it took a long time to write by our estimation. And uh, there's a progression in its uh, stanzas, but the first and the last are nonetheless tied together in a way that is significant for um, all the Gaudiya Vaishnavas who have grabbed onto this, latched onto this by the grace of Sri Sanatana Goswami Prabhu, who is, of course, in many respects, the architect of our Sampradaya, our lineage. He was the eldest of the uh, famous band of six Gosamis, who were the direct followers of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. There were other, of course, direct followers as well, but these six are particularly important to us for both exoteric and esoteric reasons. And the exoteric reasons will sound esoteric for that matter. So <laughs> they were the students, if you will, the, the disciples of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, whom he particularly empowered for disseminating the teachings Rupa Narutam prays about Rupa in his famous verse. Thus, uh, what does he say? Sri Chaitanya Manobishtam Stapitam Yena Bhutale Svayam Rupa Kadamayam Dadati Svapadanti Kam. Narutam, Thakur coming a little bit later in the next wave of, of uh, devotees following the, uh, the waterfall of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's ecstatic love. Looking back, if you will, at Rupa. He prayed like this, Rupa Goswami, Sri Chaitanya Mano Bishtam Stapitam Yena Bhutale Svayam Rupa Kadamayam Vadati Svapadantika. He more or less is saying that in the heart of Rupa Goswami, everything that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was about was manifest. And may that which manifests in his heart become manifest in my heart. And I may plumb the depths of the ecstasy of and love that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu like a broad and deep ocean, has represented in, in a way that has never been seen before 
in the world, on the religious, spiritual horizon of the world. So Rupa Goswami was very important, and Sanatana Goswami was his elder brother. So he deferred to him in Gorlila. Then we'll offer our respect to Sanatana Goswami first, and then to Rupa Goswami. And Sanatana Goswami, like I say, was like the architect of the Sampradaya. He was particularly commissioned to to write and uh, excavate the places of Krishna's Leela, his pastimes in Vrindavan, so that that might become known to the people and they could take advantage of it, to uh, write, set a standard of behavior for the uh, devotees, followers of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and so on. Establish the worship of the deity of Krishna, Radha and Krishna for that matter. And um, so both of them, and Sanatana Goswami in particular, with regard to the dissemination and establishing of the lineage that we're all influenced by, Sanatana Goswami is very important. Like I say, he's like the architect of the Sampradaya. He drew together from so many places, sacred texts, that is, how we shall conduct ourselves, what our mantras will be for our Sampradaya, and so forth. Without speaking about his internal reality and Rupa Goswami's and that's the exoteric side, which is, as I say, esoteric enough. These Goswamis were the ones who were singled out, if you will, by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to teach us by their example. There are many associates of Mahaprabhu that didn't do that. They just were mad with love of God under his influence. And their life's example is not such that we can learn from that example in a systematic way how to conduct ourselves such that we will make progress. But that example was set so for exoteric reasons, if you will, they're the most important associates of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu for us. They were empowered specifically to explain the teachings, and everyone coming in the wake of them is referring, of course, back to them. They're sometimes called our Shastra Gurus. They took nana shastra vichara naikanipono sadharma samstapoko and lokanam hitakarano tribhuvane. In the right way they did it. They took from all the sacred texts, and there are a lot of them, India has probably the most voluminous body of sacred literature on the planet. Without a doubt, it does. And it's incredible to see the extent to which they were acquainted with this body of revealed knowledge and how they drew from it and, in effect, developed a corpus of a body of literature that could be called Bhakti Shastra, really. They gave the Bhakti Shastras. They took the essence of all the scripture and showed it, how it all comes to Bhakti. And so their books are foundational for us in our Sampradaya. Such an important contribution. And Nana Shastra Vichara Naika Nipuno Sadharma Samstapuko, they drew like this from everywhere. And then the reason comes, given by Srinivas in this poem I'm citing. Nana Shastra Vichara Naika Nipuno Sadharma Samstapuko Lokanam Hitakarino Tribhuvane Lokanam Hitakara. Hitakarana means without any motive out of compassion. Compassion means no motive, nothing to gain. It's an overflow, it's a giving. Out of concern for the people. They did this under the inspiration of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So we are so indebted to them. This is the kind of person whom we should hear from, who doesn't have any motive, who speaking out means out of love, without reason, without of love. I mean, it's not reasonable that we should get this thing. It's not justifiable by our acts. We're acting in such a way that reason would mandate <laughs> we should be passed by, practically. So, as I've many times said, and it's common, and it's said in common English, 
parlance, love knows no reason. They transcended reason and uh, without motive, out of love, out of compassion, like Bhagavatam is said to have been spoken in this way, which is the seed book, if you will, that they drew everything from, Srimad Bhagavatam, about the main speaker, Sukadev. Sri Sutta Goswami says what? He says, uh, Puranayaha Guyam. Karunayaha Puranaguyam. Karuna out of Karuna out of compassion he spoke this the secret of this Purana, this ancient text. So hearing from the Goswamis and in the succession coming from them, this is a good position to be in. This is the inside track. So we offer our respect to Sanatan Goswami who has singled out this stotram, this uh, astakam, eight prayers, uh, the Damodar Astakam that we sang, Gurangi Priya asked me to speak about, who singled it out from his drawing, from all the sacred texts in Padma Purana, he brought this out, said, this is important for the Godias here, and it should be sung during this month, Kartik Mas, the month of Kartik. And, and so we do that, and we should... We should talk about it so that we don't do it mechanically without thinking about it. It's deep. It's said that the, sometimes, as I said earlier, that it's, there's a progression in this ostacum that took place over long, long, extremely long periods of time, indicating a progression in realization and so forth. And the first and the last verses, in some sense, have a connection that is very significant to the Godias, Godia Vaishnavas. Prayer is ostensibly about the really bhakta vatsala, the Vatsalya, Bhakti Vatsal, means um, affection. Sometimes Vatsal is, uh, Vatsalya refers to motherly affection because it's so much, there's so much affection there. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is most affectionately referred to as Sachinandana. Sachinandana. Anarpita charim charat. Rupa Goswami wrote this prayer about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And he ends it by Sachinandan. He's referring to that kind of affection that the mother has for a son. So intense. Mother shows that affection for her son, then he'll have affection to share with others, something like that. So, you know, it is said that Goloka is surrounded by like ocean of milk, and the cows are waves in that ocean. Those big white cows. So this ocean of milk is all about affection. That's what it, because milk doesn't come without affection. It only comes with affection. Affection of the calf or the cow, the child for her mother, and so it brings the milk nourishment down. So Krishna is surrounded by affection, loving devotees, filled with the kind of love that in many respects Mother Yasoda personifies. In fact, in this Leela, the Dhamma Leela recorded in the Bhagavatam, there's a nice uh, poem there, one verse about Mother Yasoda that's kind of the emblem of what's called Ragbhakti, explain Ragbhakti, the kind of love of Mother Yasoda. So, full of affection at any rate. And ostensibly, the Astakam is about Mother Yasoda's affection for Krishna and Krishna's affection for Mother Yasoda. But Gaudiya's like to focus their attention more on Radha's love for Krishna. And so this is packed within that verse also. After all, any wise woman knows that every man is a child <laughs> and needs some mothering. So even within Radha's 
romantic love for Krishna. This is an example of helping us to understand. But Salya Bhakti Prem is also present. Sakya Prem is also present. Dasya Prem is also present. All present in that. It is the Mukhirasa, the full face of aesthetic rapture. And so this comes out to some extent in the prayer as well, in, in, again, with the first and the last verse connected. And, and, of course, we owe our tribute, and again, to Sanatana Goswami for bringing this out, for writing a commentary on it, for presenting it to us as something that we should sing in the month of Damodar, in pursuit of the grace of Radha. This is, after all, her month, Kartika, Kartika, Kirtida, Kirtika, is the name of her mother. You know, it was a custom in the Braj, Mundal, the great circle of the cowherds, that the daughters would be named after Daksha's daughters. Daksha had so many daughters, and 27 of whom were married to the moon. And then, of course, the moon became overly affectionate to one, the Rohini, and neglected the others, so the moon was cursed to die. But the 27 other daughters means the phases of the moon. They saved him from dying. So he seems to fade, but he doesn't quite go out, and he comes back again. <laughs> this is our Krishna Chandra. So you may know that Radha, Anurad, Lalita, Vishaka, these are all names of the constellations, names of Daksha's daughters. And so this was the custom in the Braj, to name your daughter after the Daksha's daughters and so forth. And so there's a whole relationship between the Leela and the whole, and the cosmos. It's cos, cos, cosmo, cosmological? It's cosmic. The Leela is cosmic and beyond. It's very local in a microscopic sense and in a macrocosmic sense. It has cosmic implications and beyond. In fact, I mentioned that ocean of milk, ocean of liquor, ocean of ghee, and all, all these things have also been described with Radharani as the source, the nature of perfection. If we can study it carefully, we see how it produces intoxication in Krishna, which makes for an ocean of liquor, and so on and so on. It's all described in the esoteric text, the poetic language of great uh, mystics who have experienced this and try to speak about it to us. They can only use poetry to try to do justice to their experience. So all these kind of descriptions of the universe, of Sukadeva and so forth, for example, we have to look at it through a poetic eye and we'll get more out of it. After all, the world is better described by poetry than it is by math. And for that matter, there's poetry to math, right? Underneath the poem is a particular structure. Underneath the art, the canvas, there's math. Beneath music, there's math. And so this is bhakti and vedanta together. Knowledge, gyan, and bhakti. And bhakti is the highest knowledge. That is the end of vedanta. So, Vrishabhanu Raj, the father of Radharani, his wife's name was... Kirtida or Kirtika. Kirti means fame, actually, and Da means to give. So Kirtida, Kirtika, giver of fame. And this is one of the wives of Daksha. And Kartika, therefore, is a name for the one who comes from Kirtika. So a name for Radha. So there's a connection there between Radha and the month of Kartika, which is the month that precedes Agrahayana or Margashirsha. Masanam Margashirshoham, Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, amongst the months, I am Margashirsha. So that's the next month on the Indian calendar. And this is the month that precedes that. How Goswamis have reasoned that the month that precedes the month that personifies Krishna 
represents Krishna in the calendar month, that must be Radha because Radha precedes Krishna. She's in the background, but the background precedes the foreground. And she precedes in the sense that the background is energizing the foreground and making it possible, making it possible for him to do what he does. But Brahman, influenced by his Shakti, dances. Otherwise, he's still quiet. But in the influence of his Shakti, then this Leela manifests and the, the dancing and flute playing and all of that. Trying to do justice to what she does to him, something like that. And as a result, it goes out and it is shared and so forth. So this is her month, Radha's month. And this month is sometimes called Urjamas also. Urja means like strength, it means resources. So Radha is the reservoir of Krishna's resources. You know, behind every man there's a woman, they say, something like that. And uh, if you look carefully, she's really but subtly in the front. So the devotees, they observe this Urjavrat during this month and with the idea to get Radharani's attention. After all, she oversaw the many, many sadhakas in the Leela. You may say they're siddhas, but they're not perfect yet. If your sadhana becomes perfect, you will develop bhava-bhakti. And when your culture of bhava becomes perfect, which is a kind of sadhana, bhava-bhakti is a mixture of sadhana-bhakti and prema-bhakti. It's taking a ray of prema and cultivating in a particular way that one's qualified to do, cultivating the bhava that one has. Without it, it will be hard to cultivate. When one gets a ray of the sun of prema, then there's something to do with that. Or it does something with you, we could say. And that's a kind of sadhana. When that becomes perfect, developed, then it becomes prem, becomes thickened and condensed, becomes prem. When that prem becomes condensed, then one takes birth in Krishna Lila. And still some distance to go there. During this month in the Lila in the bridge, we found that some young gopis, they were um, young girls, unmarried girls. These kumaris, they went every day to Jumuna. They worshipped Katyayani, Nanda Suttam, Devi, Patim Kurute Namaha. They would pray to Devi, Katyayani, the goddess, that Nanda Suttam, the son of Nanda, O Devi, Patim, make him our husband, Kurute Namaha. We make our obeisance to you. You please bless us in such a way that the son of Nanda can become our husband. Mahaprabhu prayed like this, Ayinanda Tanuja Kinkaram in his Shikshastakam. Ayinanda Tanuja Kinkaram. Oh, when can I live in the house of Nanda Maharaj? This is his spirit. Because a girl would go and live in the house of her father's husband, join the family there. I want to live in the house of Nanda Maharaj. It means I want to be married to Nanda We all actually want that, even the friends of Krishna. We should all think like this. My mother is Yashoda. My father is Nanda Maharaj. This is the general feeling of everybody in Braj. Whether they have their own mother and own father in the Leela, still this is the general idea. Everyone feels. Even the distant relatives of Nanda Maharaj feel, he's my father. Yashoda, she's my mother. Or they have similar feelings about Prishabhanu and Kirtida, the father and mother of Radha. We should try to cultivate this feeling. My father is Nanda Maharaj. My mother is Yashoda. This is what we are doing. This is Gaudiya Vaishnavism. We want to enter that Puribhar, that family of Krishna, 
extended family. And the connection will be by affection. After all, how is Krishna, the son of Jashoda and Nanda Maharaj, by any other standard than affection's force? Otherwise, technically speaking, this is what the, most of the world thinks. He's the son of Devaki and Vasudev. But we are firm on this point. No, he's the son of Mother Yashoda and Nanda. And what is the evidence that we bring to bear? Their affection is stronger. So just like if you live in the neighborhood, man lives in the neighborhood and his son, his um, father neglects him. So his son is always next door at the man next door's house and always helping that man with everything he does. And they develop a bond of affection. The neighbors say, yeah, he's actually so-and-so's son. Everyone knows he was born in this house with this man and so forth. But the man across the street, he's developed a more affectionate relationship with because he wasn't getting that kind of affection from his father. So that common sense in the neighborhood, so that's his son. You know, affection rules, in other words. That's the real determining factor. There may be an official bond in one way or another, but where our affection takes us is where we are. So Krishna is the son of Jashoda. Krishna is the son of Nanda by affections force. Devaki admitted it herself at Kurukshetra. So your love for your son exceeds mine so much. He's really your son in this sense. So by affection, by love, we will think. Nanda Maharaj is my father. Jashoda Mahi is my mother. Jashoda Kirtida. Both these names, the name of Krishna's mother, the name of Radha's mother, mean to give fame. Yasho means fame. Yashoda. So the giver of fame. Kirtida. Kirti means like where Kirtan comes from. Glorification, fame, same idea. Devaki is known as the mother of Jashoda, but she's got the fame for that. Mother Yashoda, she gave the fame to Devaki. You be known as the mother. You can have the official, everyone think like that. I just want him with me. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> it's okay if everybody thinks that. I don't care. As long as I have him. This is the idea. And Kirtida. She has given Radha, Kartika, Kartiki, Radha, after whom the month is named in this sense. So her mother has given fame, given Radha. Radha is the fame of Krishna. Radha, Kaviraj Goswami says that the Sadaishwari of Krishna, the six opulence of Krishna are represented in Radha. You know, wealth, fame, strength, knowledge, beauty, and pronunciation. Without going through them all just with fame, we can understand that Radharani is she who makes Krishna famous because it is her love for Krishna. She is Ladini Shakti. Without this Ladini Shakti, there's no love of Krishna. When this Ladini Shakti comes within the heart of the aspiring devotee, real love begins to manifest. So when Radha, in effect, as Ladini Shakti, shares her love for Krishna, then this Srup Shakti manifests in the heart of a devotee. And what does a devotee do? He or she begins talking about Krishna and how then Krishna becomes famous <laughs> by the talking of all the devotees about him. If devotees weren't talking about him, glorify him, who would know about him? And then whose influence is that going on? Radha's influence. She is the fame of Krishna. So, Kirtida, giver of fame, she has given Radha. Jashoda, she has given Krishna to the world. And Urja. This is the Urjvrata month, month of Urja, again, another name for it. It means resources, strength, and so forth. And we'll get strength from observing the Vrat of the vow of this month, the various vows, 
and it's highly recommended as part of that, the chanting of this Dhammadarastakam. Again, in the Leela, some kind of vrat is going on. These Kumaris, who are sadhakas in the Leela, in other words, they've taken birth in the Leela, and now they want to perfect themselves. They want to make connection with Krishna. So they're going every day during this month. Well, it's end of this month, beginning of next month, actually. They're going and petitioning that Katyayani, please give us a blessing that Krishna will become our son. We can live in the house of Nanda Maharaj. So this is a month for getting the attention of Radha and getting strength then for our bhakti and our devotion. And this prayer really talks about it to some extent, ostensibly, overtly, and it's about that motherly affection. But we find in the first verse and in the last verse, so mention of Radha, he ties them all together there. He says, Namamishwaram, to go through the verse briefly, the first verse, we can't go through it all tonight. Namam Ishwaram, he begins. So Namam means invoking some auspiciousness by offering regard to those who have the power to make our speech palatable and tasteful and in such a way that it will touch the hearts of the audience, such a way that it will be a result of the movement of my own heart, not something that just goes on between my ears. If the speaker's own heart is moving him or her to speak, then that speaking will certainly touch our hearts, change our hearts, change our lives. It's not just a sharing of information. It's a sharing of feeling and realization that constitutes the transmission, if you will, of Krishna consciousness. You have to have sadhadayam yourself, the audience, some sympathetic heart for the topics. Therefore, you come. And then who, one who speaks from his or her heart about that topic, whose heart has moved them to talk. Not out of, again, any motivation to gather some following or to make a living or whatever, maybe in a professional sense, as a speaker or an academic or something, but out of love, then that person speaks in such a way that it touches our heart. They say it hits home. It resonates with us and causes some vikar, some transformation. We should be careful because it's incredible that the potential for transformation that can come from such sittings, some such gatherings. So, namam, to invoke auspiciousness, namam ishwaram, nama means not me, not me, nama, namam, not me, not me, like namaste, namaskar, these are common greetings in India, helps us appreciate something about the India of times gone by, the thinking of the people, they would offer greetings to one another, not me, not me, it means there must have been some openness to hear from others some ability to step outside of the self-centeredness that material life is so much about and actually listen to somebody else. I was in Los Angeles a couple months or so back and um, I was in the area of the Iskon Temple there, New Dwarka, where I was raised. And um, raised in Dwarka, moved to the bridge, something like that. <laughs> so anyway couple of uh, brahmacharis came up to me and they asked me how to distribute books. They were book distributors for ISKCON and I was well known for distributing books. So they asked me, you know, how's the best way, you know, something like that to distribute books. So I told them, I said, oh, you have to listen to people. 
he didn't quite get it. It was like a Zen cone or something. How do you preach to people? You listen to people. What? <laughs> so that's what I told him, and I, of course, elaborated upon that. If people feel that you care about them, then they're going to want to share with you, and they're going to be open to what you have to say. If they feel you just want to tell them something, and the first sign of caring about people is so you care where they're at. You know, you come over to somebody's house and they say, Hey, how are you? And then you start to talk about whatever it is you're talking about, and then they just kind of like, huh? Yeah. And then as soon as it's time for them to talk, they're all enthusiastic about what they're about to talk about. And as soon as it's your turn to talk, well, good, great, great. So that doesn't really cause for much of a bond. And we all have that kind of problem to some extent. We are really self-absorbed. And even just in ordinary life, materially speaking, we don't have the time, we don't have the depth, we don't have the breadth to really, really care about what other people are doing, thinking, what's important to them. As trivial as it may be to us, does it really matter how trivial it is to us? Or who are we? <laughs> it's another person and something's important to them. So it may not be important in the universal scheme of things. It may not be important in the theological scheme and philosophical scheme of things of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, or to me personally it may not be important, but every person is important to Krishna, to God. He's dwelling in their heart. He's entertaining whatever they're thinking about, however painful that might be sometimes to him, however much it may be opposed to him, but he never leaves their heart. He stays there, he sits there, he resides there, patiently waiting. We should have a little patience. Listen to people. Hear what they're really about. Some empathy. This is yoga. Krishna says it in the Gita. In the sixth chapter, he says, those who feel the pain of others as if it is their own and the joy of others as if it is their own, these are the real, these are real yogis. This is not so far removed as psychological as it may sound from esoteric reality that we're all concerned with. The Swarup Shakti is of this nature. All the, like, Jashoda, Radha, Nanda, Baba, Subal, Sakha, these are all personifications of Krishna's Swarup Shakti, and they are just full of affection. It's on account of that affection that we can be included. We are Jeev Shakti. We have no standing there. Because of their affection for us, we become whole enough to participate there. It's like a great welfare state. Everything taken care of. The Surup Shakti is the highest, which is what Bhakti is the manifestation of. It's the highest knowledge, but it has a kind of ignorance to it. A kind of, it's the clearest vision. It has a kind of blindness to it. What is that blindness? It is something like this. When it is said, Mother named her blind son Padmalochan. Padmalochan means lotus eyed. Mother named her son Lotus Eyes. Lotus Eyes are very beautiful. And so how can a mother name her blind son Lotus Eyes? But out of affection. You understand? That's out of affection. He's blind. And she's seeing, oh, he has Lotus Eyes. He's so beautiful. So mother named her blind son Lotus Eyed. We want this. We are blind sons. Deaf, dumb, blind, everything. As far as functioning, in the spiritual reality, we are unfit. We are like people who are deaf and dumb to whom the guru is trying to teach music. It is such a challenge. We are worse than deaf or dumb. 
We can listen, but we are addicted to listening to the wrong thing and speaking about the wrong thing and looking at the wrong thing. Such a task. But you see, the Surup Shakti is unrelenting in affection for us. And what patience. Bhagwan himself, residing in the heart, as I said. We don't have the time of day for anybody, practically, except ourselves. You just wait for them to stop talking so we can talk. <laughs> but in the ancient culture, they said, Nama, not me. This is the beginning of the reading. It's not about me. Oh, it's not about me. Namaste, Namaskar. <laughs> it's not about me. It's not about me. So in the very language, there was a, an attempt to distance oneself from self-centeredness and a respecting of the other individual based on the fact that, well, God respect that individual. He's residing in their heart. I should have some respect. So anyway, I told him, oh, if you want to preach to people, you have to learn to listen to people. That's how I got my whole education. You know, I never went to school. Well, I did, but high school, but it wasn't very, I didn't pay attention. Missed out on a lot there, but, but I ended up in the streets talking to people all the time because I found something that I was excited about worth talking about which was Prabhupada's message, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's message and so forth. So I would talk to people about Prabhupada's books and I would always listen to them, whatever they had to say about it. They'd say, I'd say, where are you from? And they'd say, I'm from Raleigh Durham or something like that. And I'd say, well, wow, where's that? You know, and I'd get my geography lesson for the day. You know, <laughs> What goes on? What's the main industry there? You know, and I would take some interest and I would find out. And so then they would talk about what they were interested in and as I would hear what they were interested in and so forth, I found some way to make a connection between their interest and my interest, and that way I would offer them the book. And so um, I learned a lot about people, about different kinds of jobs and philosophies and so many things just by listening to people and by giving them a chance to talk about themselves and showing genuine interest in them as a human being and as a soul. And I would think, gee, if I just take a little bit of time with this person, what would be the value, given the message I seeking to share, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's message, what would be the value? So for me to be a little patient, for me to be a little tolerant, to stand here, it's not much price given what the potential for gain is for that person to come in touch with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching. So was a, I was motivated in that way. So anyway, I tried to explain to them like this. If you want to preach, you have to learn to listen. Prabhupada himself said it, that he was a good speaker because he listened well. And Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur noted, oh, he listens well. It was actually on the occasion of the Brajmandal Parikram conducted by Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur that Prabhupada was on. Pujapada Siddhamarsh was also present on that occasion. And they were at a certain place in the Parikram, which was camping around night after night at the whole circle of the Braj area and discussing the leelas of Krishna that took place in different areas and whatnot. And there was a Seishai Vishnu deity that was famous. And so the chance for the devotees to go and have the darshan of that deity was that night, and was the last night. And so if anybody wanted to go, they could go. But Bhakti Saraswati Thakur, the guru, was going to be speaking that night also. So some students went for the darshan, and some students stayed to listen. Amongst them was our Prabhupada and our Sridhar Maharaj. And um, in the lecture, he made a point that there are real disciples, and then there are Dandavat disciples. They go with Dandavat Maharaj. They show respect like this, but they're actually their attention is somewhere else. They think that they will see Krishna by looking at the deity more than by hearing from the guru. Mistake. 
So he noted that when Prabhupada was then later on recommended for initiation, he said, oh yes, he listens very well. He was present and he decided to listen that night rather than to have an eye exercise in the name of seeing Krishna, an ear exercise to lend one's ear to the stirrings, again, as we said earlier, of the heart, in this case, of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasti Thakur, rising to his throat and his throat on his tongue and what was coming there. That is where we should keep connection with that flow. So, Prabhupada used to say, I can speak well because I listened well, something like that. No, it doesn't mean just to our guru, but guru is really helping to teach us. And it's a focal point. He is a focal point, the guru, in a condensed form that Krishna has come before us, particularly tailored for us, Diksha Guru, Shiksha Guru, and so forth, to help us. And at the same time, we know that Krishna is everywhere and everything. We can't see him everywhere. So we learn to look in the Guru, look by listening. And then, as the Guru speaks and touches our heart, we move accordingly. And eventually, what will we see? Then we'll see, oh, we see my Guru everywhere represented everywhere, in everything, the whole universe, teaching me by its movements about Krishna. You find this kind of explanation, poems of Bhagavatam, like the description, I like that verse, you know, the sun, ayur harati vaipum sam vudyanastam chayanaso. With the rising and setting of the sun, everyone's life is being taken away, except for those, uttama sloka vartaya. So it, we don't think about it very often, but the moving of the sun across the sky, or, or as it appears anyway, is a pretty significant event every day. It just kind of goes on. We don't think about it. It's a big event. And in a big way, the universe is saying, you can't keep it. You can't stay here like this. This identity that you have that causes you to ignore me and think that you're important, more important than the moving of the sun, is what you do today. And you'll keep the light on all night to prove it. You don't need to. This is our self-centeredness. The sun is moving across the sky in a big way saying, you're nowhere, it's not happening. It's not about you, saying. It's not about you. And we're living our life as if it's about me. It's all about me. What could speak louder to us than the sun every day? And how, therefore, how hard of hearing are we? Therefore, we need a guru to come, make some poetry about the sun, make us think about it. And, represent the scriptures, speak about them, personify that and so forth, and still we don't hear, still we don't listen, especially if he gets a little upset with us. Then we have no, no reason to listen <laughs> whatsoever. Goodness, he's angry even. Not supposed to be angry. Anger out of love, out of affection for us, that he should be so angry with us. We should be so fortunate that he should be so, or she, as may be the case, so concerned about us. Go after us, capture us, drag us. So, to listen, that's important. Nama, namam, he says, invoking Satyavrata Muni in this Dhammadarastaka, auspicious namam Ishwaram. So he says, it's not about me, or it's saying, I offer my respect to the Ishwar. So, namam Ishwaram, I'm not the controller. There's a controller here. There's a God. And I want to invoke the auspicious presence of God at the beginning of my hymn, that it might be successful in this undertaking, without his blessing, I will not be successful. It is about him, but I cannot even speak about him without his blessing and the power. I needed some power, some shakti to do justice to that. What is this position? 
like Prabhupada prayed on the boat coming across the Atlantic. That I've got a mission, I've been given a mission by Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. He is the maid servant of Radha, so for her camp has given me a mission, and it's not an easy one to go across the sea here to America and try to preach to people in English. My English is not perfect, and what will they be able to understand? How will I be able to explain it? I mean, it's pretty mind-boggling to think of how to explain Gaudiya Vaishnavism to people who don't know anything about it. And when it's never been done before, even, it's an incredible task. So he realized wisely that he needed some power to do this. Therefore, he made some bargaining with Krishna in his prayer. My dear friend, he said, Krishna, Amar Bhai, my good friend, I have some advice for you. We are on such equal terms that I can give you advice. This is friendly dealings. Friends share advice with one another. They don't hesitate to give good advice. That's the nature of their affection. So let me give you some advice, Krishna. He said, something is for sure. It is fixed like Dhruva. Dhruva means fixed, like the pole star around which so many other planets orbit. And what is that? Forever it is fixed. That if you get the blessing of Radharani, then, then your life will be successful. If she blesses you, then your life is successful. You know it, and I know it too. So my advice to you is act in such a way that you can get her blessing by giving me the power to do what she wants. And if you will give me that power to do what she wants, then your life will become successful. What do you think? Krishna says, take it. Take it. Here, take, take Balaram, Nitananda, and his full power inside of you. Do whatever you like. You know that about me? You want to say that? You think like that. Goodness, take it. This is Gaudiya Vaishnavism, the whole of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, right? There on the boat coming across, and from there, from the heart of that, this whole thing is going on. Did he, did he get the power? What do you think? <laughs> you see? So he knew how to talk to Krishna <laughs> in such an endearing way. Oh, you know that about me. You think like that. Mm, yes. Only my best friends, most acquainted with me, are capable of advising me as such. And so, and you've done so up high fearlessly, without any reservation. This is Sakya. So, Satyabhati Munya, and all the great poets in our line, of course, do this. They give it a mangal, a mangal, an auspicious invocation. So, Namamishpuram, this is this auspicious invocation, invoking the blessing of the Lord that he might get his power. Namamishpuram. So, it's not about me, it's about you. Ishwar, this poem. I want to write. I want to, I want to write this and get out of the way at the same time. This is the end. I want to write this, but I want to be heard, but not seen. I want it to be heard, but I don't want to be seen. I don't, I don't want to really attach my name to That's why so many texts we consider written by Vyas, because even though they may be written later on, they wrote Vyas because they didn't want to write their own name. They didn't feel it was about them. But this was like... Uh, coming from Vyas, who was empowered to compile the text for the benefit of the world, so forth. So anyway, I want to write this, and I want to get out of the way at the same time. I want all the credit to go to you. I want all the attention to go to you, like in Kirtan. We want to play the Murdanga. No, we want to be played by the Kartals. We want to be played by the Murdanga. We want to be moved by the Holy Name. Not that we're going to control the Holy Name and the instruments that are accompanying the eternal kirtan of Mahaprabhu and we're going to attract everybody by our style or something like that. No. There's, there's a way of being 
in the front, but been in the back at the same time. And this is the whole person of Radha, what she teaches us. See how much bhakti is about her. There's no better example of bhakti than her. She is the foremost and at the same time completely pushing herself in the background, which we push her to the foreground. This is our sampradaya's uh, focus and thereby, of course, attract Krishna's attention. He wants that. He wants it to be known. It's she. It's about her. Anyway, so namamishparam and then satchidanam dorupam. So he wants us to know because this is a prayer about the leela of Krishna and the leela of Krishna is deceptive because you might not know offhand hearing this story that his rupam was satchidanandam. That his form is made of eternity, knowledge and bliss when he's crying and running away from his mother and you might think this is something else. So he wants to invoke this kind of a he wants to give us some tattva, some philosophy in the beginning that will enable us to enter into a discussion of the Leela from a, a proper perspective that we might misunderstand it. So this Namamishvaram Satchidanandarupa, this is like right out of the Shruti text. Satchidanandarupa, Krishnaya, Krishyante, like the famous Gopal Tapani, beginning invocation of Gopal Tapani Shruti, Upanishad. Satchidananda Rupaya, Brahma Samhita, Ishvara Paramakrishna, Satchidananda Rupaya. These are like powerful Vedic voices. So he's invoking them, their sensibility, their lesson to all of us about Krishna. He appears in one way, but actually the truth about him is something else. And we have to shift to that truth and understand the tattva to enter into the spirit of the whole Leela at which point the tattva can recede to the background and kind of be forgotten for the sake of the natural flowing and the sharing that the Leela is about. You understand what I mean? Because knowing that Krishna's God is important, but forgetting about it is also important. In the context of bhakti, it's forgotten about and that in a way that makes for the intimacy possible. So, namamishparam satyadanandarupam. He wants to give us this tattva. Krishna says it in the Gita also. What does he say there? He says, Aham sarvasya prabhava mata sarvam pravartate ti matva bhajante maam buddha bhava samanvita. Aham sarvasya prabhava. I'm the source of everything. He's saying in his own words what the Bhagavatam says and what Prabhupada said over and over and over again in his book. The point of redundancy. What is that? Krishna's tu Bhagavan Swayam, or in Prabhupada's language, Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, did this. And Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, did that. You think, well, what does he have to say that every time for? There's a point to that. He's doing that for a reason. This is this little line, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, rendered you know from the Sanskrit of the Bhagavatam, Krishna's tu Bhagavan Swayam. Yuga Goswami says, this is the Paribhash Shloka, this is the key to understand the whole tattva of the Srimad Bhagavatam. It unlocks the whole mystery of the tattva, the philosophy of the Bhagavatam. Though it's a pretty important line, so he wanted over and over again to stress this. He's just saying over and over again, Krishna's too, Bhagavan Swayam, Krishna's too, Bhagavan Swayam, Krishna's too, Bhagavan Swayam. And it's having its effect. People are believing it. People are coming to understand it. 
And it's not that, it seems like easy, but that's the power of his speech. It's not so easy. Even big people and other sampradayas can't quite figure it out. Krishna's too, Bhagavan Swam. So this tattva, it's important. Krishna says, Aham sarvasya prabhava, Everything comes from me. I'm the source of everything. And those who know this truth about me, this tattva, then they have the capacity. Aham sarvasya prabhava, Iti matva bhajante mam, They can do bhajan in such a way. Bhajante mam, buddhabhava samanvita, raga samanvita. They can, they will have the one part of the component of the unconditional love that bhakti is about in place. There are two components in one sense. If you want to love unconditionally, you have to do one thing. You have to find a center to give love that can take without reservation. Because if I try to love someone or something and I give my all in all with no expectation of return, it's not necessarily such that that thing or person can take it all. If I'm to give my all, I'll have to find a center that will be able to take it all. And to take it, interestingly enough, means to give it back. It's so fascinating. Actually. You really take from people who are giving. If you accept, I should say, they're giving, then it comes back to you. So Krishna is that center. By giving to him, he takes it like the stomach takes the food and then mysteriously distributes its essential energy to every part of the body. If you're really giving a gift to me and I really receive it, in my receiving of it, there's something that comes back to you that you feel. So the being and the taking there are really intertwined, like bed al bed, you understand? If you really give it and I really accept it, then we kind of come into a kind of a union, kind of a oneness. This is the nature of love. So to love unconditionally, we have to find a center that can take unconditionally. Krishna gives that challenge. However much you give, I can take it. And by taking means it will come back to you in a way that's usable. Now if you keep it for yourself, you can't use it. But if you give it to me, it comes back to you in a way that's usable by you. Hmm, your real fortune will be found there. So... This is one half of the equation. To give unconditionally, you have to find the perfect center of taking, of receiving. Then, of course, the second half is you have to give without expectation of return. But the wonderful thing about finding the perfect object of love that Krishna personifies, this is what the Goswamis are talking about when they talk about Krishna, the perfect object of love. The wonderful thing about that is even if you give to that imperfectly, because it is the perfect object of love, by giving imperfectly, your capacity to love develops and becomes more perfect. It's amazing. So Krishna says in the Gita, you've got to get this in place. This is who I am. And by knowing this, then you're in a position to do the kind of bhajan that develops into the intimacy of love for me that you find amongst my associates like Jashoda, Radha, Alita, Vishaka, Sridham, Subal, and all this Brajlila that is so central to Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So, Namamishparam Satchidanandarupam. He wants to give us some tattva. And then he wants to describe something about the beauty of Krishna. Rupa also means beauty. So, Lasat Kundalam Gokule Brajamanam. Lasat Kundalam. Kundalam means 
earrings. And Krishna had little earrings on in this leela that's going to be described in this astakam of Satyavrata Muni. And uh, he said they're swinging and the glistening earrings. And the idea behind it is that these earrings have the good fortune of kissing Krishna's cheeks constantly, swinging back and forth. And the devotee is looking at that and thinking, oh, what is the fortunate position of those earrings? How fortunate. That they are glistening and glowing and shining brightly because of that opportunity. In other words, what he wants to say here, he's speaking about the form of Krishna by speaking about the earrings glistening. He wants to say that these earrings are being ornamented by being in connection with Krishna. Not that Krishna is being ornamented by the ornaments, but these earrings connecting with Krishna's ears and Krishna's cheeks now become more beautiful than they were otherwise. It's not that Krishna becomes more beautiful, but the ornaments become more beautiful. He wants to say like this to just give us some... It's a very poetic idea, but to say how beautiful he is. That if you put ornaments on him, the ornaments become more beautiful. Not that they beautify him. They don't do justice to him. And they're trying to make up for it by kissing his cheeks constantly, swinging and glistening. Lasat kundalam gokule prajamanam. So it's all happening in Gokul, Gokule, in the cow herd community. Gokule. And what is the nature of that? Gokule prajamanam. Gokule prajamanam. Rajamana means illuminating, shining brightly. So this is indicative of the Shakti then of Bhagavan, and particularly of Radha. So as I wanted to say, in the first verse, this astotram, an astakam about this Vatsali Lila, but about affection really for Krishna, which reaches its height in Radha. So in the first verse and in the last verse, in the last verse she's directly mentioned, but in the first verse a little covertly. Gokule Brajamanam. But the word Brajamanam means that, now, you see, Krishna's ornaments shine more brightly in connection with him, but he shines more brightly in connection with his Shakti. Like Prabhupada used to say very simply, Prabhupada used to give very high points in very simple language sometimes. I mean, he could give a whole, write a whole book about this point, this statement of Prabhupada. That Krishna is not so beautiful standing alone, but when he stands next to Radha, then he becomes really beautiful. This is like the whole philosophy is in this, such a simple statement. So here it comes here. It comes in Bhagavatam also in Rasalila. How he shines that much more in the presence of the Shakti. And I've alluded to it or spoken directly about it even earlier when I said Brahman is the absolute just standing still and Krishna is the absolute dancing. And what is the difference? Is this ingress of the Shakti, the manifestation of the Shakti of Krishna. And Radharani is the fountainhead of all Shakti, Tattva, like Krishna is the fountainhead of all Vishnu Tattva. So, Gokule Brajamanam. Gokul is shining brightly. It is also mentioned in Bhagavatam in connection with Krishna's birth. When he took birth, the whole place took on a new, a new light, so to speak. There's a covert reference there in Bhagavatam to the appearance of Radharani, the goddess of fortune, the blessing that makes everything shine and beautiful and attractive also taking her birth at about, well, a year later, but it made the whole bridge shine. So Gokule Brajamana means this place is shining, illuminating, and it's shining light on him. It's him in his best light, Krishna, as a cowherd, illumined by the bhakti, 
of his shakti. This bhakti makes him shine. It makes him stand out. So he's present in that bhakti. That's why we say he's present in the hearts of his devotees. The love of Krishna and Krishna are one, one and different at the same time. Krishna, therefore, sometimes people ask, Swami, have you seen Krishna? Or they might ask you, have you seen Krishna? It's kind of a challenge usually. Have you seen Krishna? And if you say yes, then I'll say, sure. If you say no, then I'll say, why should I listen to you? This is the spirit behind it. If you say yes, I think, well, you're pretty proud, aren't you? If you say no, then why should I listen to you? There's no devotion in this question, in other words. That's what they call the challenging. Have you seen Krishna? So we will say, I don't know, I wasn't looking. We're not looking to see Krishna. I've been serving Krishna, I can tell you that. I've been looking for every opportunity to serve Krishna. So we're not looking to see Krishna, we're looking to serve Krishna. In fact, Sridhar Maharaj once said, if he appears before you in your bhajan and he asks you to do something, tell him, wait, and you go ask your guru, is that the fellow you were talking about? He wanted some service. Something like that. The teaching is not to see Krishna. The teaching is to serve Krishna. And of course, seeing will be found in serving. You have different eyes then. So he shines brightly in Goku, Gokule. It means that there he's surrounded by Prema Madhurya. So many devotees endowed with wonderful love and they're making him shine out. We want their company. We want that ingress of Surup Shakti in our life. Gokule Bhajamana. And then Yashoda Bhya Dup. Yukalad dhavamanam paramishtam atyantato dutya gopya yashoda biyad. Now the lila has been described. So first some tattva is mangalar, auspicious invocation. Then some tattva is given, philosophy to help. This is Krishna. He's Satchidananda. Don't think he's an ordinary person. Then his rupa, his form, and his place, gokule brajamanam, his residence, it means his paribad, his family, He's not alone. Like Prabhupada would say, Krishna's not alone. And if we have the experience of Krishna, if you're actually having the experience of coming in contact with Krishna, then you will become in touch with all these things. Gokule, Jamuna, Govardhan, Radhakund, Shamkund, Dashoda, Nanda Maharaj, Subal, Sridham, Lalita, Vishaka, Radha. It's not without these some poets, they sing a prayer about me and Krishna. No. The experience of Krishna is coming in touch with all of Krishna's associates. So Gokule, the Paribhar, the family of Krishna. Mangala, Tattva, Rupam, Sondarja, the beauty of Krishna, the family of Krishna, and now the Leela of Krishna. It's going to be described. He begins, he gives it in a nutshell in this first verse. He said, Jashoda Bihad. Afraid of Yashoda. Yashoda biyad ukalad dhavamanam. He ran away from the mortar. Yashoda biyad ukalad dhavamanam paramrishtam atyanta drutya gopya. And that fortunate gopi person ran after him and caught him from behind. There's something to be learned, many things to be learned from this, but on a very low level, we should understand this. It's important for us because we are very low. Yashoda Biyad. As I said before, Yashoda means what? Gives fame. Gives fame. Yashoda Biyad. We should be afraid of that. Biyad means afraid. 
We should be afraid of people who give us fame, who glorify us. Be afraid of them. Ukalad means the mortar and the pestle. It means prosperity. If you're grinding spices, you're augmenting the food that you already have. You know, it's prosperity. You should run away from that. People who are trying to give you fame and offer you material prosperity, the prospect of material prosperity, run away from that. And fast. You're running very fast. Run away from that. Most people are running after that, right? They want to be known and make themselves known and make sure that they've got their... anything they've given, their name is on it. and It's recorded forever. We're not interested in that. We should be afraid of people who try to glorify us, is the idea. We should run away from them. Run away, very fast. But what will happen if you do that? Paramrishtam, from behind, very quickly, that pain will come after you anyway, if you run away from it. Like Madhavendrapuri, when the Brahmin came in the marketplace and said, Where is Madhavendrapuri? Where is Madhavendrapuri? Gopal has stolen the sweet rice for him. The deity had taken this offering and kept it under his dress in the night and woke the Brahmin in a dream and said, I've kept this offering for Madhavendrapuri. Go find him and give it to him. Wow, who's Madhavendrapuri? The deity is like doing like this for him. So the Brahmin went in the community, Madhavendrapuri, Gopal has brought the sweet rice for him. All the people go, what, what? Running after Madhavendrapuri. And he's running the opposite direction. He, he was running in the first place to get away from that comes running after him. So if you run away from fame and your own glorification, and the best way to do that, the best way to run away from fame is to glorify who's actually worth hearing about, right? To speak about Krishna. You, that fame will come after you and arrest you and grab you from behind and turn you around to the whole world. Listen to him. Listen to her. This person. When you don't want it, then it will come after you. And then you'll be a proper conduit to glorify he who's actually worth glorifying. So, Jashoda Biyad, be afraid of fame. He was afraid of Jashoda, his mother. He ran away from her very fast, but she ran after him faster and caught him from behind. Actually, if you run up to somebody from behind and grab them, that's supposed to be a sign of extra affection. Naturally, you do when you meet your loved one and they come face to face. But when her back is even turned, or his back is turned, then you go up and grab them anyway. You see? Extra affection. He's running away, and she's afraid. Oh, my God, he might run away and never come back. How fast she's running after him with such affection. She's not running to chastise him, but she's running out of fear herself that he might run away and never come back because she had raised the stick. And, of course, he had created some mischief, the story is. It's a long story, as you know, but... He has, was a bit of a mischief maker himself, going to the neighboring yards and taking houses and stealing butter and yogurt. And so the news was coming back, your son is coming to our house and stealing. She's going to her husband, what kind of cow herd are you? You've got 900,000 cows and you can't get cows that have sweet enough milk to keep your son at home. He's going everywhere else to steal butter and yogurt and milk. So none of them are singled out some special cows. They're called Padmaganda. means that their milk smells like the lotus, like the swan eats only the stem from the lotus. So he gave them only special grasses because the milk, quality of the milk will depend somewhat on the grass that you feed the cow, of course. 
So Nanda Maharaj groomed whatever uh, grew, special special grasses, and put the special cows on those grasses. And the milk from those cows was in the pot of Mother Yashoda that was boiling over when she was suckling Krishna to her breast. And there was no one in the house to attend to the problem that arose, which was the milk was boiling over. So she was in a dilemma. Shall I let the milk boil over, or shall I take my son from the breast? Try to take a calf, you know, from the cow. And just spring back, like, automatic, like, what are you doing, you know? What are you doing? So to take him off and put him down and then go there, or to let it boil over. So she chose Tadiyaseva. The milk was special and dear to Krishna, so to, to serve that. And there was no one else in the house to help out, because... Of course, everyone was out arranging for the Indra Yagya, which was a traditional annual affair. You know, this Leela that we're discussing, the, the Dhamadar Leela, it's also said to have happened on the Diwali, which is just past Diwali, Festival of Lights and so forth. And the next day is Anukut. So there's a connection between these two Leelas, within Krishna Leela even, because the Anukut is the Govardhan Leela, and the Govardhan Leela is an instance in which Krishna is um, trying to get Indra to acknowledge his child abuse. The abuse that Krishna had to undergo as a result of Indra's pride. In other words, because everyone was out, all the maidservants attending to the Indra Yagya, Krishna had to be taken from his mother's breast and put down on the floor. It was a traumatic experience for him. He was traumatized in his youth. By the time he got a little older, seven years old, he, he started to sort things out because he was a smart fellow, you know, boy, <laughs> and mature for his age. And he thought, well, this has been going on all these years. That what was going on. That's why no one was home. She put me down because this guy was so proud that he think that he should be in the center. He traumatized me in my youth. Now, I better get him to acknowledge this and to work this psychological issue out. So, the Govardhan Leela is connected in this way. It falls on the next day. <laughs> so this Leela is described there. She ran after him. He was running away fast, and she ran after faster, and she caught him from behind with the force of affection and bound him up. And we want to become like this, bound up, bind up Krishna with love and affection. So the whole prayer gives us some idea how to go about that. And this is the month that it's sung, and... In this month, it's kind of an opportunity to make some special progress in that direction. So, talk for a long time. We'll stop there. Any question? All right. This point about caring about people and listening, sometimes, though, we never get to the transcendental part of it. And then we just listen, and then the saga goes on every time you see them, like for days and days and years and years. Well, they've got to listen to you, too. That's part of it. You know, If you teach them that you have, to, you have to do it in such a way that they see, oh, she listens to me, and I should listen to her. But then amongst devotees, too, we often never get to Krishna either, even we're devotees. And we just talk about how are you and how is your body and your business and your... You know what I mean? And, and, we're, and we're shy to actually glorify Krishna together. When we're in, even in association. Yeah, that's that's a shame that mm -hmm. that happens. That should be avoided. That should be avoided, but at the same time, in the name of talking about Krishna, we don't want to 
artificially do away with our humanness and our reality. So it's a fine blend because we can become artificial and only talk about Krishna and uh, <laughs> and so somehow it has to be integrated our humanity with our Krishna consciousness. It's a fine art. Keep practicing. I talked for a long time, so we'll stop there. Shri Radha Damodar Ki Jai. Gaur Bhakti Vrinda Ki Jai. Gaur Pranande. Haribo.